episode 43, Payers Engaging Patients. Today, I speak with Frank Hone from HealthX. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Here's something that's a shock to no one. Most people do not believe that payers are really striving for their member patients' long-term best interests. Whether it's true or not, the stigma is that payers regard patients as a cost. (laughs) But times they are changing, and right now, for various reasons, which I speak today with Frank Hone from HealthX about, It is becoming a business imperative for payers to engage with these patients that they have long not really interacted with much. And they're finding it a hard road to hoe. I mean, there's plenty of examples out there of payers with online dashboards that no one's visiting and everybody including myself, has piles of EOBs, you know, explanation of benefits that I get all the time from my insurance company, which are completely incomprehensible. There's a long way for for payers to go, but there's all these business reasons for them to figure out how to, you know, improve the public perception of, of what they're all about and also to figure out how to really authentically engage in their member patients' care and improving the outcome of their of their member patients. I think you'll find this conversation that I have today with Frank Hone really interesting. He is a wealth of information on the why and how of payer engagement. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. And hey, we'd love to interact with you. Go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you will find all of our contact information. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Frank. Thanks, Stacey. Good to talk to you. Why don't we start out talking about health plan member engagement, which is your area of expertise. What exactly is this health plan member engagement? Well, it's an area that is changing as health plans change in this this market. And what we really think about as providers of services to health plans is finding ways to develop strategies that help them with outreach to members, both from the standpoint of just generally making individuals aware of their benefits, but more specifically, being able to deliver communications, outreach, digital engagement in a way that allows members to take full advantage of their health plan benefits. And this is a new area for many health plans. Uh, Most health insurance plans have typically provided benefits managed claims, built networks of providers. And so they're now having to get into new areas of understanding their members as consumers and delving into strategies that are are relatively new. Although I could make some educated guesses, let me ask you, why suddenly are health plans concerned about member engagement? They They really never have been in the past. Yeah, it's been a slowly evolving but now rapidly changing uh, trend where consumers have become much more actively involved in their own health and health care. Much of this is the result of health reform, but a good part of it is also related to the trend of healthcare consumerism 
which has been around for about a decade, but is now really picking up steam. And it's a trend that is causing many consumers to, to be more activated in how they choose their providers, how they choose their health insurance plans, and when and how to activate their involvement in the healthcare system. Do you think that's kind of like a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario? For example, one of the reasons why health plan members are so activated and are becoming healthcare consumers is because plans are rolling out high deductible plans, which sort of forces them to be accountable and activated and healthcare consumers. I think the chicken and egg uh, example is a good one. I'd say that they both are active at the same time. So while there are segments of consumers that have become truly activated in their own health and health care and are beginning to demand new ways of accessing the system, there is probably more likely uh, an egg phenomenon. As you notice, more uh, high deductible health plans are now available, and that's causing consumers to make different sorts of decisions in how they choose their doctors and choose their health plans because more is coming out of their own pocket with each transaction. So I think as consumers are recognizing some of the sticker shock that they're facing based on health plan choice, they are becoming more activated. But it, it goes both ways. I think we're, we're seeing the early stages of a growing segment of consumers that are being much more active on their own and sort of pulling the market toward them. And what would that segment of consumers be, the quantified self-types, or is there some middle area there, some early majority, which is of pulling this trend. Yeah, there, there are different names for these types of uh, earlier adopters, but certainly the quantified self group, which have been very active with devices and, and uh, that enable metrics on their own bodies and, and their own types of monitoring, those folks are, are definitely in that uh, maybe technology early adopter mindset and, and are really evaluating their choices from a quantitative perspective. But then there are others that maybe have a more emotional connection and, and are activists in their own way, wanting to ensure that they have full control of their life and their health and health care. So I'm not sure you can necessarily put them into one strategic segmented bucket, but there are definitely pockets of consumers that are beginning to be much more directly involved in their own choices. I would think that those individuals in other words, the the quantified self people, you know, the full on types or even just someone with a Fitbit that's counting their their steps or tracking their, you know, doing food logging, that it would be the provider that would be more affected by that type of patient than the plan. Why is the why are the plans getting involved in this game? Health plans know they need to evolve, that they're legacy mindset and model won't be effective in, in the today world. And the today world is being driven increasingly by uh, the trend mentioned earlier of healthcare consumerism, the idea of retail health, where consumers can now go and shop for various acute care needs at, at minute clinics and, and other outlets of that sort. So health plans have had to think about what's their place in the market. One of the areas that they have a lot of value and potential is on the ability to integrate data sets that come through their system. Ultimately, we see the opportunity for them to activate those data sets 
in a way to, that allows a health plan to provide smart guidance to individuals about their own health needs and health care opportunities in terms of accessing gaps in care and things of that sort. They're on the, on the precipice of being able to, uh, I think, break through, health plans can break through and really become a, a source of guidance for their members. And why would they want to do this? Uh, you know, for, for years, members have been, I mean, let's, let's get real here. Members, health plans have regarded their membership as pretty much a cost. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yes. I, I recall some years ago talking to a health plan executive and I was sort of new to the space and that, that actual comment came up that, you know, we, 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 we focus on the supply side and we view the demand side, the consumer, as a cost to us. Clearly, that's, that's a mindset that has passed us by, and most health plans have recognized that consumers, members, are not only assets to them in many ways, but they're a source of business. That, that's where the premiums come from. I think what, we, what we're seeing is that what are health plans, what, what business they're in, they're in business of, of insurance. What does insurance mean? It means managing risk. So if they have a population that has some degree of risk for incurring larger cost through, through higher claims, they have the ability to be able to manage those individuals in smart ways to try to minimize cost, then it's their, to their advantage to become guiders of those individuals and try to direct them to smart solutions or smart means of managing disease, managing risk, and avoiding uh, negative outcomes. Do you feel like the catalyst for the acceleration of that trend, maybe would be the, the, the way to put it, would be the healthcare technology and the ability of health plans to now have some visibility into the provider-patient relationship, as well as the patient's ability to self-manage? How, how do all these pieces fit together? Yeah, I think healthcare technology is both an opportunity and an onus. For many years, technology has, has been lagging other industries. It has not provided the kind of competitive advantage to health plans or provider organizations that it might have in banking or other industries. Clearly, the technology opportunity is significant. I think the barriers of interoperability and resistance at the provider level have been uh, interesting challenges. I think the meaningful use initiative underway has is, is shown a lot of pitfalls. But healthcare technology and the ability to manage the so-called big data opportunity represents a significant upside. I do think that while the technology infrastructures are expanding and improving, I would put more of a point on healthcare reform as a big driver and a big changer. And it changed not only because more people who didn't have insurance in the past have insurance today, but more so because it opened up many market-driven opportunities for entrepreneurs, small companies, and large companies to do things differently. It gave them permission to begin to transform the way of their way of approaching healthcare. Does this relate to what you had mentioned earlier about payers looking for their place in the marketplace. And one of the things that you had mentioned was that payers have access to very large data sets and therefore can offer smart guidance. I mean, obviously, technology is facilitating their collection of that data. 
Yes, no question about that. And, and their ability to to work with and manage that those data through different means is, has increased substantially. I think if you look at the the two major entities that can interface with patients slash members, one being health plan, one being provider, the advantage goes to health plan when it comes to looking at the data. Providers are very good at, at performing their what they're good at when they have a patient in front of them, when they're dealing with an individual with a, a condition, a disease, or a, a health risk. But they're not that good at managing populations. And health plans have a, a much better opportunity to manage populations based not only on the data that they have and can analyze and assess and direct, but because of their ability to reach into their member populations through various forms of communications, many of which are already in place, such as just direct outreach through the, through the mail and through the telephone, which they are pretty standardly good at, but through newer opportunities to reach into their member populations through digital means. And so we're seeing real opportunities to leverage mobile apps, uh, member portals, two-way communications on text as ways of being able to reach into those populations and touch individuals on a non-face-to-face basis. So when you're talking about reaching out and touching individuals at the payer slash population level, would that entail making sure, for example, that everyone who has a diagnostic code associated with them for diabetes got their eye exam this year? Is, is that what you're talking about? That is clearly an area of, of real opportunity, and that would be considered a gap in care. So that the whole arena of gaps in care where there's tremendous opportunity both for revenue on the health plan side and provider side as well as to manage risk. That is a major opportunity and one where providers struggle because they need to reach into that population in a way that probably is less efficient than health plans can. So yes, that example of the diabetic exam is is a very important one and one of dozens that are available to health plans in their ability to, to reach into their member populations. That seems to me like the payer is kind of crossing lines with a provider. In other words, there's a lot of providers out there that, as part of their own reimbursement incentives, are being tasked to manage populations as well. So what if you were going to pretend to be a futurist for a sec, where does the line where is the line between a payer and the provider in the future? It's a good question, and it's a question of whether it's a line or it's uh, an intentionally blurred mark between the two, because we're seeing real opportunity for payer-provider-patient collaboration, where the payer can direct the patient to the provider at the right point in time, such that there's a a true win-win-win all around. When the payer can be the stimulus for that member impetus to take action, Yes, the provider then receives the benefit of the visit and the, uh, the exam or the, the diagnostic uh, evaluation, but the payer also wins because they've been able to reduce some risk. Here's an example that I know a number of hospitals are struggling with. You know, for example, what happens post-discharge? Patient gets released from a hospital, winds up going to some long-term care facility, and then gets readmitted 30 days later because the long-term care facility, for example, does not follow the discharge instructions. And it's really hard for the hospital to keep track of where did that patient wind up. 
the only time they realize that the patient is in danger of a readmission is when the patient is readmitted. Is is that an area, for example, that a payer could, because the payer is, you know, obviously paying those bills consistently for that patient where a payer could have an influence? Is that what you're talking about? Post-discharge communications and guidance is an area that both payers and hospitals, increasingly hospitals, have a role to play. In the, uh, in the old system, uh, hospitals wouldn't really have a uh, strategic reason to necessarily try to keep the patient from coming back. They had an inherent desire, I say that you know, cautiously because they don't necessarily want to have people come back to the hospital, but there is a financial benefit to having a patient return to that hospital, incur more charges, uh, generate more revenue for the hospital. There was really no risk involved in that from the hospital standpoint. Now with new measures in place, the hospital does have an inherent interest today in keeping that patient from returning to the hospital, but the health plan does too. And so there are clearly measures that can be managed on either or both sides to provide the right type of communications, the right type of interventions, and they could certainly be face-to-face interventions of of having somebody visit that patient in a long-term care facility or in their home and ensure that they are getting the proper post-discharge treatment and care. So there's increased incentive on the part of both parties to ensure that readmission is reduced. Who sets up, for example, the home health care visit or the health coach coming to visit the, the patient to, to ensure that they are, you know, going to cardio rehab? Yes, that's a good question. And I would say that the answer varies by region, by hospital, by individual, by condition. There's not necessarily a, a blanket way that it's done today. Why don't we address the elephant in the room, which is provider, patient, you know, pretty much everyone is incredibly suspicious of of payers and suspicious of their motives and the data that they're collecting, that it's going to be used for for purposes other than what a patient might consider their their best interest. How are payers looking to overcome that that stigma? Well, unfortunately, I think it's a stigma that's true in some respects. Recent consumer surveys do put trust of health insurance company at a fairly low level. And so that represents uh, a negative today, but an opportunity in the future for health plans to become more transparent, more member-friendly, more benefit-oriented to their population, to the populations that they serve. There's still a, a large gap to fill. And part of that is can be addressed from a, a marketing perspective. So what does the plan stand for? How do they deliver value to the populations they serve? And part of that needs to be delivered on a one-to-one basis. What is the plan doing for me as a member of that plan? What what quality are they providing to me? When I call them up on the phone, am I talking to somebody who cares about me? When I go to the web portal, am I able to have an experience that is of interest to me? And I think to your to your specific point about you know concerns on what happens to my data. That's a concern, not just in the health system. That's a concern across many industries. My belief is that most consumers would feel that their data are safe with their health plan. And as health plans begin to express to individuals their ability to guide them in different ways, the recognition that those data in the hands of the health plan are beneficial to me as a member, I think will increase and that there'll be a lesser level of suspicion. 
If we take this from the provider side, I know that in conversations with a number of different providers, one of the reasons why they're a little hesitant, let's just say about ICD-10, for example, is that they think that payers are going to use this to further exert their control over over providers. Are, are payers rubbing their hands in glee over ICD-10? I honestly can't speak that knowledgeably about that type of potential conflict. You know, I think that there is, is definitely a push and pull between providers and payers. I also believe that there are more opportunities for collaboration than friction and would expect that that's the, the future is, is payers and providers working together on common goals. How do you feel like this historically antagonistic relationship between you talk to a provider for five minutes or you can't talk to a provider for five minutes before they bring up how insurance companies are destroying their practice. (laughs) You know, how does that relationship transform into one which is more collaborative? What advice would you give to a payer who needs to move the needle in that direction? That's a good question. I'm not sure I have a Uh, the best answer on how payers can improve their relationship with providers. Clearly, the reimbursement for for services provided is is, is where that rubber gets gets friction. There definitely are other areas as well. I think payers have an opportunity to read, to transform themselves, and in doing so, need to understand what those challenges and roadblocks are and see what areas they can truly address in terms of either new policies, new outreach, new attitudes, or just a different way of doing business. I know one of the things that you really specialize in is member engagement. In other words, the patient. Do, do you feel like the patient is kind of the key to transformation of, of payer perception? In other words, if a provider sees a payer really doing what it takes to help a patient or assisting them in helping a patient, that this might be the the ticket for a provider to transform their belief of what payers are good for? Yes. So I, I think what you're speaking of is what we referred to earlier as the provider-payer-patient collaboration. And part of the way that a payer can prove their value to the, to the provider is by providing the correct types of links, information, and direction to that patient such that there's a value proposition being delivered from the patient then, that the patient sits at the center of that collaboration and the provider sees that. The health plan is sending patient A to me because they have a gap in care and they're guiding them to allow me to address it or to encourage it to be addressed with me. So I do think the expression of that collaboration in the form of steerage is is probably going to begin to erode any sort of long-term friction that has existed advice to payers would be really figure out how you are going to use the data and scale that you might have in order to measurably improve the health of patients across your member population. Without question. And it's not just at the point where a member gets directed to a physician for a transaction, if you will, but it's also to prepare the physician population that, you know, here's a strategy that we're going to be embarking on, do the preparation work, then drive the transaction, then do the follow-up work, you know, maintain some active dialogue from payer to provider. 
So there's some ongoing connectivity. Let's talk about em- employees and employers for a second. And I know you wrote a book on this topic. What was the title of your book? I wrote a book entitled Why Healthcare Matters, How Business Leaders Can Drive Transformational Change, which was published in 2008. And how do you see employers fitting into this payer-patient-provider collaboration? Well, they obviously have a, a direct link from the standpoint of their current sponsorship of employee health insurance. So they are directly involved from that standpoint. They pay typically as much as 80% of the premiums. So they have a lot at stake. For the past seven or eight years, they've had initiatives in health and well-being improvement that have become fairly popular. And so they are, many employers are working to try to address the issue of health improvement in their in their populations, but less so healthcare access and maximizing use of the healthcare system that hasn't been in their domain per se. And that's changing? Well, one thing that's changing is that the, the health and wellness programs that are being offered by, by uh, employers and sometimes by health plans have of late begun to be criticized for lack of outcomes. So I think we're seeing a very interesting shift emerging where the amount of attention and effort and, and investment in employee health and well-being improvement may shift and it may begin to be diminished in, in terms of scope. And one area I would see as opportunity for both employers uh, directly as well as with their health plans is to encourage stronger information about accessing the health system, particularly with high deductible plans. One of the reasons that high deductible health plans didn't get off to a good start a decade ago was because there wasn't a strong amount of information available or direction available from sponsors. Today, with so many high deductible health plans available to customer consumers and being used by consumers, there are more tools in the market. There are tools around price transparency, around quality measures, around the ability to select health plans from a health insurance exchange. So I would see employers beginning to shift their emphasis to these healthcare consumerism tools to encourage their populations to better access the healthcare system more effectively and probably diminish some of the emphasis on health and wellness. Yeah, because I know one of the issues that employers often face when attempting to improve the, you know, prevent bad outcomes or foster good ones is the confidentiality. An employer cannot send information to an employee without the employee opting in. So there's some, have you encountered this, that there's sort of some built-in obstacles for an employer getting into the health and wellness space? There certainly are, that there is a firewall that needs to be established and, and respected that has benefited many of the vendors in this area who really manage the relationship between the employee and the programs being offered. Uh, interestingly, the health plan does not have that type of firewall. So the health plan can offer similar programs and, and directly address employees, members on both health and wellness and on care management and disease management, which is another reason I think health plans have an advantage to begin to take on some of these responsibilities that have been of late managed by employers. Do you see employers out there in the marketplace shifting their emphasis on health and wellness over to the plan? You know, an employer with enough 
size and weight, you know, to throw around, will will say to their health plan, you need to do this? I think there are some early signs of this occurring. Many employers have taken a paternalistic attitude toward their populations and are, are reactive to the market instead of being proactive to change. There are some, uh, there are actually quite a number of employers, however, that have begun to look at the private health exchange marketplace and have directed their employees to the private health exchange marketplace. That is a sign that they are interested to begin to shed some of that responsibility for managing the entire health benefit stream, which has been really in the employer's domain for 50 or more years. That probably further propels the, you know, the state of the marketplace into more of a consumer framework than it has been in the past. Absolutely. That's going back to the early parts of our discussion. We are seeing such a, a strong move towards consumerism, driven in part by the exchanges, both public and private, and driven largely by what I just referenced, which is the availability of new and helpful tools that enable consumers to make smarter decisions about how to use their healthcare dollars. And what are some examples of those kinds of tools and who might they, those tools be provided by? Probably the most popular topic in this area is around price transparency. And that's the ability for a consumer to access a, a portal and compare the price of medications, the price of a procedure at a hospital, the price of, of various other types of medical offers and be able to make a decision as to how as to how they want to choose to spend their healthcare dollars. And these are, are services that are offered both by health plans and by and by employers. Employers uh, have bought into some of these tools provided by the vendors that develop them. And they've begun to take on some some real heft in the market. Consumers are using them. They're getting a lot of word of mouth support within organizations. And we see that as an area for tremendous growth over the next three to five years. Beyond price transparency, is there another area that you see, you know, beyond the health and wellness space where member engagement or employee engagement might spiral around? Well, I do think that digital engagement is an area of increasing interest, opportunity, and we're seeing some outcomes there that are very strong too. The The area of, of digital engagement is interesting because there are literally thousands of, of healthcare mobile apps that have been developed, but the uptake on the vast majority of them has been very limited, and the impact of even those that have had good downloads has been small at best. But the opportunity to, to reach for health plans to reach into their member populations through digital portals that enable a strong interface, uh, both on a desktop and a, and a mobile app, do represent areas of unparalleled opportunities for interaction between health plan and member. The missing piece or the piece that has to be put in place today is that there needs to be a value proposition to the end user, and there needs to be a draw into that end user to be able to want to use the portal to access information of value to them, to help them in their health decisions and their healthcare choices. Effectively, what you're talking about is that the health plan would offer a dashboard, patient can go in there, member can go in there, and they can see all of the healthcare data that has been collected about them. So it's kind of like the blue button. Yes, there many most health plans today have some type of member portal available to their their users. 
Unfortunately, many of them are not as, as functional as they need to be, and the majority of them are not used to the extent that they could be. There's a lot to the point of the earlier conversation on health IT infrastructure. Yeah, the stuff's out there, but members aren't being drawn to it. So we've got to find the right way to engage them both digitally and non-digitally to encourage participation and utilization of the services. That's kind of an interesting point that you make there, because if I connect the dots between healthcare consumerism, in other words, healthcare's healthcare members actively taking part and interest in their healthcare, but yet they're not going to a health plan portal, that almost seems like a little a sign, you know, unless it's just pure cognitive dissonance or, you know, like purely they don't even understand that it's there. That That's a pretty clear indication that whatever's on those dashboards is either incredibly difficult to access and the juice ain't worth the squeeze or <laughs> that whatever's there is just, you know, irrelevant in some way. It is a disconnect. And you're right about that. I think that what we're finding is that many health plans are still struggling to understand how to market to consumers and how to put things in front of consumers such that they are appealing, attractive, and action-oriented. I have been noticing, you know, especially on on this show, I have interviewed a number of tech entrepreneurs, HIT entrepreneurs, who have created some very interesting, for example, mobile apps, which payers are using to pilot right now. But the one thing that always puzzles me is how a consumer, how a payer is putting all of these pieces together. Say you've got a patient and most patients, especially high risk ones, they have more than one issue going on. You know, they mm-hmm. don't yeah. they are not defined merely by their high BMI. There's 14 other things that are at play. And generally speaking, the apps that are out there are designed to serve one purpose. So how does a payer determine you know, if, if a patient could have six different apps, you know, one for their arthritis and one for their diabetes and one for their AFib, are you seeing payers doing anything? Are there any strategies out there? Are they even thinking about how all of these kind of siloed apps, for example, can be layered together into some sort of environment that isn't, you know, a mishmash? Yes, you raise an important point from two on two levels. One is what's the consumer experience and two, how does the health plan manage in this kind of disintegrated manner? Clearly, the opportunity is to build synergy around what's available to an individual such that if I have three diseases, I get the three apps on my dashboard. If you have one, you get one. If somebody else has five, they get all five. And right now, there's not as much of that integration being built in and certainly not on a mobile basis, that they really are each standalone. But that would be the next the next step is to try to bring them together. In our work on portals, we do bring in all the services that a plan offers to their members into one location. So that I think we have that ability to, to build that integration. On the plan level, I think where plans are struggling today is that they have many departments working in different areas, each of which have some degree of you know, wall between them. So I think plans beyond just becoming more consumer facing and understanding what it takes to stimulate demand and engagement, they need to identify ways to build synergies within their walls so that they can be far more efficient at leveraging opportunities that are right in front of them, but because they have different silos 
established, it's hard to work across. And believe me, they're working hard at this. It's just, it's an area that needs a lot of attention right now as they shift from being sort of the legacy health plan mindset to the health plan of the future. What you are talking about right now are things that HealthX helps a payer to accomplish? Yes, on both those levels, the member portals, and we also offer provider portals, but the member portals that we do offer to our our customers enable our customer to integrate all of the vendor offerings that they contract uh, from various sources. So we don't provide all the services, but we provide all the links that enable a member to have a seamless experience through the, the various types of vendor interactions that are available to that member. And then on the other area of the silos that were referenced, we do have an engagement strategy consulting team that works with our customers and helps to strengthen the ability to improve process and identify areas where crossovers between departments can be improved and uh, outreach to members can be streamlined. If someone is interested to speak with you further or learn more about HealthX or something in between, <laughs> sure. where can they reach you, Frank? They can reach me uh, by email at fhone, H-O-N-E, at healthx.com. I can be reached by telephone at 917-375-7716, and we're at healthx.com, and you can also find me at LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, I thank you so much for being on the program today. I've learned a lot. Thank you, Stacey. I enjoyed it. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. It, we would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.